Hello and welcome to your latest edition of the Starblades, a weekly look at all things Sheffield United. I'm your host, Steve Jones, and joining me this week are James Shield and Chris Holt. James, let's go straight into it and we'll start with yourself. Two wins, one draw, one defeat. What's your assessment of the last seven days? Uh, in a word, well, in two words, Steve, staggeringly inconsistent. Uh, and I think that's been the, uh, other than other than at the start of the campaign, I think that's been the the phrase that you can attribute pretty much to uh, to all of Sheffield United's work during the season so far. Frustratingly inconsistent. Chris, it feels like one step forward, one step back at the minute with, uh, with the Blazers. It just can't seem to build any momentum. Yeah, I, I think that's probably the big thing. That, that's it, It's not worrying at this stage, but... You, You've seen what a difference it makes to to the top of the table, and the, and I guess the confidence that that brings. Whenever you're able to string three, four, five wins together, even you know throw a draw in there at least, but they they don't seem to be able to do that at the minute. They you maybe win one or two, or get a win and a draw, and and then it's a defeat, and they're kind of it always feels like they're starting again, which is my my concern. You know, whenever they they pick up a win, you think, right, they're going to kick on now. And then they'll draw points or or indeed lose. And it, it, it kind of feels like they have to go back again to the start and, and, and almost rebuild. Um, and the momentum just isn't there at the minute. They just, like, it was really disappointing with, given how they played against a very good Stoke team on Saturday, um, they were really up for it. They were patient because they, they, they had to be really because Stoke, whenever they got the goal that they that they were when when they got the goal, it was it was always going to be then difficult for, for Sheffield United to break them down. But they were they were quite patient up to a point where he felt he had to make changes and that's what kind of carried them along. But for them to go from that to what they showed on Tuesday night against Millwall was you know, it was night and day. Really, they were they were as bad as I'd seen them for quite a while in that first half. There, there was just I, I was going to say that they weren't playing badly, but they were. But it was just so flat. There was all there was just nothing, nothing happening. They were they weren't making anything, any incisive passes. There was a bit of kind of hesitancy at the back as well. Um, so it's it just. As James said, it's just that inconsistency that's really, really frustrating because we've seen probably on maybe four occasions this season where they've been really on it, four or five maybe, say, say four, and the rest of the time you're just not entirely sure they're going to be a wee bit average or as they were the other night for large parts of the game, absolutely terrible. I, th I think you've been really polite there, Chris, actually, because I thought during the first half of the game against Millwall, I, it wasn't sort of bad passing. I thought, you know, there, there were periods of that no first passing. half. It looked as if they couldn't pass water, yeah. let alone a, 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 a football. Uh, but I, I just wonder if it's because they're chasing. And I think that's one of the, you know, the big things that... I, Whenever I sort of try and think about Sheffield United season, and you try and come up with an answer for some of the some of the questions that we've still got about this side, I, I think you've you've just got to go back to the beginning of the campaign where they didn't win in five. I think you can go back even even further than that when they didn't bring any new players in, you know, until 
you know, quite a way into the start of the new season, which I thought was 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 a pretty poor way to start the reign of a of a new manager and a a manager who you knew was going to sort of try and transform the the style of the football club. So I thought that was uh, that that was that was a, a mistake on the on the football club's part. You've seen now with West Brom. I mean, West Brom have been a little bit sort of checkered in terms of their results of late, but they're still right up there at the table and you can get away with with being inconsistent at this point a little bit more if you're actually building on a on a solid base. But uh, I just think if you, you know, maybe you'd have to actually speak to the players in, in great detail about this, but just sort of psychologically, I wonder if they... You know, they just feel that they're chasing, and they've always got to catch up, rather than you know they've they've always got to sort of, you know, not just look at the next game, but God, we're, they they say they're not looking at the table. Of course they are, you know, uh, but they they just feel that they're chasing after the rest of the division, and that they're they're trying to cling on to a, a dream, which is automatic promotion, which I think's pretty much gone now already, uh, and that's just affecting that the way that they that they work and and go about things. I don't know. It's you know. I mean, there does it, there it, does it, feel it, like no, I'd be in the dugout, wouldn't I? So yeah, there do, it does feel like there's a manicness. I'm not sure if that's a if yeah. That's a no, yeah. It does. It does feel like they are scrambling a little bit at times without. Instead of just kind of taking their time on Saturday, they did it against Stoke. They they took their time, and then whenever they did have that little bit of. Where they started throwing balls into the box and not quite being as patient as they were, he made a change and that and that made a difference. Um, I, th- I thought you really saw it in the in the game against Millwall. I know obviously we'll be looking forward to Barnsley, but it, it's something that we've seen on occasion, and and Slavisa has touched on it on a few occasions as well during his conversations with us. But you saw after Millwall went in front very early on. Listen. Everybody at Sheffield United wanted to win that game of football. Of course they did. But there was still more than three quarters of the game to go. And yet the immediate response to that, you you just felt that it was a team. I thought, right, we've got to get back into this game now. We've got to equalise now. And, you know, there was just that whole feeling around, not only on the pitch, but in the ground, you know, and around us in the stadium as well. That's that's not blaming anything on supporters. Far from it, because they just want to see their team do well, and 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 the team should be able to divorce themselves from that. But I don't think they can because of that start. You know what they should have done was just pause for thought, regather themselves, regather their poise, and then and then look to to build you know into the game. But they they did the exact opposite at times, and we've seen that on a on a few occasions this season actually. And it wasn't as if Mill were any good either. You know, for for as, as bad as United were, Millwall weren't really a great threat. Certainly didn't create a lot themselves. Anything that they did, you know, anything that came from an attacking sense from them was was born out of United's mucking about at the back. And then that goal kind of came out of nowhere. So it wasn't as if they were being penned in or, you know, really being under pressure. It was just too crap teams <laughs> not doing an awful lot so you're, you're right if they if they just calmed themselves down a little bit and gone right let's just get through to half time here we'll have a word with the manager things aren't working and then we'll and then we'll go again but you're right it it, it just seemed everything just becomes so frantic 
Yeah, just just to use that boxing analogy that I know we did before the Stoke game when sort of I, I was droning onto sort of Easter, who finally got the point of what I was <laughs> what I was asking him about when he said, you know, that he'd been studying the Tyson Fury, the Deontay Wilder, the Anthony Joshua, Alexander Usyk fights, and he made the really interesting point, you know, that it's because you know not only is it did it show him that. You know, in in other sporting disciplines, power isn't necessarily the most important thing. Skill can find a way to get around that, but also that these guys aren't fighting. There's a you know, well they are fighting, but there's also a strategy to what they're doing. There's a there's almost like a chess like approach, and to sort of carry on in that that boxing theme, albeit very briefly. You know, if you get caught with a punch, just hold on, just hold on for a while, clear your head, cover up. You know, stay out of of, of, of danger and get ready to go again. It's interesting you said, James, just a couple of minutes back that you feel automatic promotion's gone. They're still the same amount of points off, 10, as what they were before they went into this double header, and, and still six points off the playoffs. So we'll be interesting to see how the next few weeks pan out. But well, I, well, well, I say that, I say that, Steve, just purely because I think there's three outstanding teams in this division already. I think you can see that. And that's Bournemouth. West Bromwich, Albion and Fulham. And I think you can... Listen, 10 points at this stage of the season, it's it's still retrievable. They'll have... You know, any team that wants to overcome that or overhaul that is going to have to go on one hell of a run. It's going to have to be a, a Fulham under Slavisa Jakanovic-esque run to make that up. And even then, they didn't manage to quite make it up, did they? Uh, but I, you can possibly see one of those three going through a rocky patch. I, I, the way they're playing, I just struggle to see two of them doing it. I really hope I'm wrong. I've been wrong before and I'll be wrong again, uh, as, as as listeners to this podcast will probably be screaming at their their screens or at their mobile phones or whatever they're listening to it on right now. But I, I just can't see two of them falling off a cliff. I, I, I really can't. Like I say, I hope I'm wrong, but I can't. I can't really, I can't really see one of them at this stage. To be honest, I think, as you say, West Brom have had a bit of a, a sketchy period, but th they've done enough early on to, to keep themselves up there, and they've already they've already shown what they're capable of. I I think that that three, you know, it, it's I wouldn't say it's sewn up, but I'd be very surprised if if the top two are possibly interchangeable. But I think that that three will be hard to shift, and so already you've got. There's five, no, sorry, three more places left. Yeah. Um, and that just makes things more difficult for you. Chris, that's, that was a completely obvious thing to say. Obviously, <laughs> you've got one, you've got one fear to, to go out. I, I wouldn't worry about it, Chris. I've, I've made a living out of it. Yeah. <laughs> Amongst all this frustration, is there certain players, do you feel, Chris, namely Oliver Norwood, who have become scapegoats with the fans? Just for those frustrations, yeah. Um, but as as James has written today, and um, as Danny wrote earlier in the week as well, um, I think we saw the true value of Ollie Norwood when he wasn't actually playing. Um, I, I th I th sometimes it takes it takes a player to be taken out of the team before people realise just how important he is, and and that was very much the case of for Ollie Norwood at the weekend, or sorry, on um, on Tuesday night. Because, frankly, and, and I rate Conor Hurahan really highly, but 
but he was dreadful on Tuesday, absolutely dreadful. And so there was nobody coming to get the ball from the defence. I mean, they, we had this hugely frustrating thing where from a goal kick, you had Olsen standing with the ball with two players out of either side of him. And then he'd stand around looking for a bit and he'd wave them on and he'd have a look for somebody to pass to. And then he would launch it up and then it would just come back. And then it would play out from the back a little bit. And in the end, the ball would go back to Olsen and he would launch it. And you I mean, you just wasted time because he might as well have just lost it in the first place. But with Norwood in the team, he will at least drop back in 10 or 20 yards, pick up the ball kind of midway in your in your own half, turn and pick out a pass, and you're getting up the pitch then. Her hand wasn't doing that at all. He wasn't coming for the ball. He didn't seem to want to have the ball at his feet. And so there was just nothing happening at the middle. So United were being, they weren't very comfortable on the ball at the back anyway, and they were putting themselves under pressure because there was nobody actually there to relieve the defence. And and by the same token, there was nobody there to actually give the ball to to Gibbs White or or the more creative players to actually to actually make something happen at the other end of the pitch. But that changed when when Norwood came on. Somebody was actually able to to dictate the play. Um, yes, he has his critics, and his delivery can be a bit hit and miss. But everybody's delivery is hit and miss. People have people have this idea that you know corners should lead to goals all the time, but it's something mad. I read the other day something mad like two percent of all corners or something lead to actually lead to a goal, and I think we saw uh, they're basically only one man that they can aim for, and that's John Egan. The United aren't really a very big team. And so if John Egan can't get himself away from from his man, from a from a, a set piece, then he's gonna have to go a bit shorter to try and get a flick on or something like that, because there's not there's no other way of doing it. And so this is why he end up with this kind of myth that Norwood can't beat the first man. It's just the fact that he's trying to mix it up because he possibly seen that United the only real threat that the United have from a set piece is John Egan. And if there's two or th- possibly three players, we saw against Hull the amount of kind of wrestling that there was. If if they've put two men on, on John Egan, then your options are very, very limited. So it kind of ends up looking like Norwich deliveries aren't good when effectively all he's doing is trying something different because the options aren't there to him. I'm, I'm going to do my usual thing. This is the, the weekly instalment of James sounds like he's having a go at Steve and I'm genuinely not Steve, so don't worry. <laughs> well, I'm used to it now. I don't, I don't think Ollie Norwood's a scapegoat. For supporters, uh, I would I would disagree with that. I think the I think the thing is, especially during that first season in the Premier League when they were sort of you know blazing a trail up to ninth. Uh, I think everybody and 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 the season before that when they won promotion from the Championship, I just think everybody knows how good Oliver Norwood can be, and he's not quite hitting those heights at the moment. I don't think I don't even think Ollie would would dispute that himself, but. I think people know what a good player he is and they just want to see him get back to being that that great player. Yes, as Chris said, Oliver Norwood's got his faults. I thought Premier League players, Premier League attackers exposed those last season. But there's no shame in that. 
because you know they were coming up against some of the best forwards on planet Earth, let alone in in England. Uh, but Sheffield United aren't a Premier League team anymore. They're in the Championship, and Oli Norwood, yes, as I say, he's got his weaknesses. He's also got a hell of a lot of strengths, uh, and I, you know, I, I think he'll he he should be a big part of what Sheffield United do this season. I think he will be when you look at the when when it comes to the end of the campaign and we we look at the season as a whole. Uh, and I just think he's a really, really damn good player. But as, as as you said, Stephen, as Chris said, I think in a Dale sort of way, Ollie Norwood, although he's only played 20 minutes or so, I think it was of a, of a 90-minute match, I think he was the big winner of uh, of that game against Millwall from Sheffield United's perspective without even kicking a football. Speaking of another player who perhaps I think it's fair to say is not quite hitting the heights he did of last season, David McGoldrick. A couple of pretty bad misses. They can't really dress it up any other way. Chris, is he good enough to start week in, week out? And is he the kind of player that, that could get you 15, 20 goals? That, the sort of striker that Sheffield United really need? Um, I don't think you'll get 15, 20. He's certainly capable of starting. Maybe not all, but certainly most games. But I think we saw the other night... Um, well, actually, I think it, it it encapsulates what he what he possibly could be about um, for this fi- say final season. That um, I'm maybe jumping the gun there a little bit, but he came off the bench on Saturday and was absolutely superb. He started on Tuesday and he found it difficult to make things happen, and he missed two very very good opportunities to score. The second one. Um, all the more frustrating because I didn't notice at the time, but whenever I've seen a, an angle, actually it was a fan that, that posted it up on social media. Gellerman and I was blistering at the back post and he, all he had to do was have a tap in while McGoldrick was kind of on the stretch a little bit. Um, David McGoldrick is a, is a, a quality footballer. He, he does things differently. He, he offers that that neat touch that, that that perhaps no other forward has. But, I mean, if you could roll David McGoldrick and Billy Sharp into one player, you'd probably have the best, you would have easily the best championship striker and and certainly be more than capable of holding his own in the Premier League. Um, unfortunately, Billy probably doesn't have the... Well, maybe doing it, um, doing him a disservice, but maybe he doesn't have the brain the 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 brain of of David McGoldrick, and David McGoldrick absolutely certainly doesn't have the the finishing prowess of of Billy Sharp. Um, I think, I think I still think McGoldrick's a bit best coming off the bench. If I'm if I'm entirely honest, I think I think what it is, and I'm con- continuing the theme of stating the bleeding obvious, but I think they've got different brains, haven't they? Billy Sharp's brain is. Yes, in the largely about finishing, and he can clearly do things and interpret situations that David McGoldrick wouldn't be able to, and, and vice versa. David McGoldrick is Sheffield United's season in miniature, isn't he? He's, he's Sheffield United's season rolled into one player, superb against Stoke, then looked as if he couldn't finish his dinner against Millwall. Uh, you know, it is. It's a, David McGoldrick is the is the football club all over. Uh, I mean, in a, in a daft sort of way, I, I shouldn't be saying this because Sheffield United lost the game, so I don't really mean it. But, you know, you watch him miss that chance that he did in the second half on Tuesday and it, it almost just makes you love him even more because, you know, you, you, you look at these 
you know, and, and he is a great championship player because he's blessed with wonderful ability. But it's almost nice as someone who used to, you know, whose footballing experience was clogging around on a on a Sunday league pitch and sort of, you know, trying to whack centre forwards 10 feet up in the air. You look you look at a player like David with all that ability and think, do you know what? Yeah, they, they can stuff up too. And there's almost something sort of quite nicely reassuring about that, as, as, as daft as it sounds. I think David McGoldrick can start. And I think he can start on, on Sunday against Barnsley. I think the question is, where do you start him? I think he can start up front as a striker. Strangely enough, you look at all his qualities, he should be absolutely tailor-made for that slightly deeper-lying role. And I think he can play that, and he can do it really well. But as Chris said, that only seems to be when he comes on for the last 20 minutes of a game. I think if you start him in that deeper-lying role, the evidence would suggest, and I, I don't know why, uh, it'd take a, a far more sort of cute, a tactical brain than mine to be able to tell you why. But he doesn't seem to have the same effect when he starts a game in that deeper line role. He, he does struggle a little bit more then. When everything that you look at him and everything you see in him should be telling you that, you know, tells you the exact opposite. But yeah, I, I think he can start. I think it's where you start him. Yeah, I think that that, that is where the issue lies. I think, I wonder if you started him, if you were to start him where Billy, where Billy has been, and then almost try to confuse the opposition by having each of those other three that are in behind or uh, two is it two or three three, three yeah. each of the, each of those three kind of interchanging where so when, when David does drop back in you've got Indaya becomes a striker or Morgan Gibbs White becomes a striker maybe to a lesser extent uh, Ben Osborne but, but still you know it might just shake things up a bit but then having said that Billy's top scorer and although he didn't have a few he didn't have too many opportunities the other night to be fair so it would be it would be um it would be unjust to to say he had a bad game against Millwall but um, you can't rely on him to to dig you out every single game let's move on it's Barnsley this weekend James first of all is it a derby, really, truly? And if so, you know, where does it rank? Obviously, it's it's no Sheffield derby, but is it is it the second one after that, or are we looking at clubs like Leeds after Sheffield Wednesday? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, listen, there's there's only one derby, isn't there? Let's. I mean, it is a derby, but there's only one derby with a big capital D in 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 bright red letters, you know, in bright red ink, and that is the Sheffield derby. As as to what the big derby is, or the second biggest derby after that. I suppose that depends on your own sort of personal allegiances and, and loyalties and family situations and what have you as a fan. But yeah, I mean, it is, it is, it is a derby. It's only just up the road, but it's it's not the derby, as you uh, as you said. But it's uh, I'll tell you exactly what it is. It's, uh, it's a hugely important game for both clubs because I just wonder, I don't, I don't like really talking about this, but I just wonder if Sheffield United win the game you know, you're possibly looking at a change of uh, a change of managerial or head coach, whatever they whatever their title they've given Marcus Shop up there. I, I think he'll be clinging on by his fingertips if if Barnsley lose this one. And Sheffield United are going to come under increasing you know scrutiny if they if they don't manage to beat a team that has lost all of its last five. So it's a it's a hugely hugely important game. 
Chris, no win since the second week of the season for Barnsley. I have to say, and this is a stinking cliche, but it's a big old banana skin, isn't it, for Sheffield United? Yeah, it's one of those ones whenever you... you you always fear coming up against a team who's on a bad run because you just think, oh, yeah, that's that's nailed on for us. Um, what I will say is, I've seen Barnsley, and they're terrible. <laughs> Frankly, yeah. um, if 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 United don't win on Sunday, I mean, I know I don't want to take out the form book goes out the window line. So, you know, there's probably the atmosphere will be a little bit more intense. Um, maybe that will galvanise Barnsley a little bit, but I just can't see Sheffield United losing that match. If, you know, if you if you just put the two teams together. It, it's 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 strange, really, because, you know, they've done, Barnsley have done so well over the past few seasons, a couple of seasons, and... And obviously they came really close last year and get, got into the playoffs. Um, but I think what it does is just show you that you you almost have a a bit of a a sell by date on some things and some strategies. United saw it with with Chris Wilder, if you want to take that as an example. Although they they had the one manager going through that period, and Barnsley have had two or three, but they had that kind of succession where not not an awful lot changed apart from. The man in charge himself. The, the the strategy remained in place, and sometimes you just come to the end of that, and you have to just start again. Um, and it kind of looks as if Barnsley may have reached that point where they have to kind of reevaluate what they want to do and and how they want to do it. Um, I I don't think any of us know enough about Marcus Shop to know whether or not he's going to be able to dig them out and and kind of go on a run and. And everyone forgets about what's happened up to now. But um, I think James is probably right in saying that should Sheffield United win, then I think he will probably be expecting a phone call from the from the owners. James, is there any injury news ahead of Sunday? Uh, not that we're aware of. We're speaking to Yukanovic uh, in about twenty four hours, so we'll we'll have an update then. Uh, Morgan Gibbs-White, obviously, is going to be a huge miss for Sheffield United. He'll be suspended. So, you know, I'm sure Barnsley will be looking at that because, I mean, he's been involved in, I think it's nearly a third of, of, of all of the goals that Sheffield United have scored since he since he arrived on loan from, from Wolves. So he's going to be a huge miss for them. But, you know, th this goes back right to the top of this podcast. Barnsley have lost their last five and we're, we're sat here talking about this being a potential banana skin for Sheffield United. If Sheffield United had got off to a better start, Sheffield United wouldn't be thinking this is a banana skin, which I'm sure everybody is. They'd be thinking, you know what? This is a win because we're coming up against a team here that can't buy one at the moment. And that's just how, you know, the building blocks of a season, the, the, the foundations of a season can colour everything that, that happens after that. But yeah, Sheffield United should be winning this game. There's there's no doubt about it. Uh, but getting back to your original question, without sounding like a politician on question time, Steve, I think in terms of the injuries, no, I don't think there is any, but we'll uh, we'll find out if anything has happened in, uh, in training this week that we're not aware of shortly. Brilliant. Well, we'll leave it at that for this week. Thanks as always for listening and don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review.